your favorite place on earth, if you've ever thought about that, what place there is that you would think, this is my favorite place in the whole world to be. Where do you love to spend your days? I think we probably all have a place like that. Uh, for some, it's very, very far away, a place that you maybe get to once a year, a place that uh, maybe is a vacation spot. Maybe, maybe for some, it is a place that is very close and it's favorited, it's favorited because you are able to be there so often. You can go there anytime. Maybe it's a cabin in the woods. Get away from the noise, the hustle and the bustle of the busy streets of Sherman. Or maybe it is, uh, for many, Sherman is that getting away from, the, from civilization. Maybe it is a beach where you can sit on the hot sand and listen to the waves and soak up the sun. I know for many of you, it is Disney World, and that is where you go, and then you, and you are in your happy place. For some, it may be grandma's kitchen, it might be a cozy reading chair by a fireplace, and quite honestly, sometimes our favorite place is under the covers in bed, just just resting and relaxing and sleeping in bed. But I wonder if you ever thought about the fact that God has a favorite place. God has a place that he loves to be. This place is truly the happiest place on earth. It's sometimes called Jerusalem. Sometimes it's called the Holy Hill or the Holy City. Sometimes it's called Zion. This is God's favorite place, and it's one he loves very, very much. In Psalm 87, we read the psalmist, the result of a lot of contemplating this city of Zion. The psalmist here had been thinking of Jerusalem or the city of God, for probably a long time. And he was very familiar with it and loved it as much and spent some time thinking on it. And these meditations produced thoughts and emotions in him that as we read it, they seem to just kind of flow up from within him and burst forth in a psalm of praise. That's kind of how the psalm is read here. It's kind of abrupt and and staccato. It's not as as flowing and as smooth as uh, many other psalms. But it seems that as he thought on the city of God, the the city of Zion, he he just kind of burst out in emotion and feeling and communicated in these shotgun bursts of thoughts rather than the the flowing uh, uh, tempo that we see so many other places. But the psalmist here is considering the city of God, and namely, what makes it so special? Or more specifically, who makes it so special? And then, as we read, he overflows in praise for the city and its God. And so this morning, I want to point out to you in the psalm, who makes Zion so special? Or what, and the what is a who, who makes Zion so special? And the first and the most and the primary reason that Zion is so special we see is is its founder, the founder being God. In verses one through three, it says, On the holy mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. We see here that God's city, Zion, is is founded in or, or on the holy mountains. 
in uh, Psalm 48, maybe you've, you've learned this through a song, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of the whole earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. He, uh, this, uh, Isaiah the prophet also said in Isaiah 28, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. This is God's city. It's the one that he established. It's the one that he founded. And like earth, which he founded forever, and and, and like the high heavens, God built his sanctuary in Zion where he would dwell with his people. Listen to the words of Psalm 78. It says in Psalm 78, verse 67, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He didn't choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He loves Zion. And and if you think of that for a moment, that he loves Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob, because he loves Israel, another name for Jacob. He loves his people. He, he chose them out of all of the, the, the nations of the, of, the land, of the world, and he gave them a special land. And then within that special land of that chosen, loved people, he chose another place called Zion, and he loves that the most. And the Zion isn't special because of some physical attributes, because of some, uh, some you know, creation that, that it is made there. It's not uh, so special or glorious as the word is there used in verse 3 because of itself, but because God loves it the most. That's why it is so special. It's the city that God established and founded. It's the city where God meets with His people. It's the city where God's people gather together to worship Him. And it's where God's anointed King would rule and reign. And that's why in verse number 3, he says that these glorious things are, are spoken of Zion. So you have to ask, well, what's the glorious things that are spoken of them? And that's what the rest of the verse, uh, the rest of the psalm teaches us. These glorious things of thee are spoken. Uh, John Newton wrote, uh, the, the, wrote the famous song, Amazing Grace. He also wrote the song, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Uh, in the back of the bulletin, I printed the words for you to see. The first line there, he says, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken, formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. Primarily, Zion is glorious because God is there. And God is there because he loves Zion, because he loves the place. Psalm 132 says, The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. God loves the city of Zion, and that is primarily why it is such a special place. But another part of it that makes it so special is not just the founder, but the citizens of this city. The, the people who dwell in this city. Derek Kidner uh, explained that Zion's splendor will be its king and its role of citizens. And I think this is very interesting as we look at verses 4 through 7 and we see the people that make up this city. 
Last week we were in Psalm 15. In Psalm 15, we talked a lot about who may dwell with God and, and who will be able to enter into his tent and who will be able to stay with God and may I come and stay. And, and we saw how Psalm 15 talks about how, how God has those requirements in place for who may come and dwell with him and that Jesus was the one who qualified for me and in my place and went into the tent for me. Well, we get a little bit of a fast forward now as we think about the city of Zion and who these people are that live in this city and that belong to God's city. First of all, we see who they used to be in verse number four. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. Now these are some strange names to be using to describe the people of God. Rahab is actually uh, a, a, a mythological name for the, for the land of Egypt. Uh, it was, uh, Egypt was the, the first oppressor of Israel. If you go back to the book of Exodus and we think about Pharaoh and Moses and, and how for uh, hundreds of years Israel was held captive by Egypt. They were the first enemies, the first uh, official oppressors of Israel. You can look in Isaiah 30 and verse 7 and see how God uh, calls uh, Egypt the, the Rahab. Now, the second nation that's mentioned here is the nation of Babylon and yet, yet another oppressor of Israel. If we fast forward in Israel's history to the book of Daniel where the Babylonians came in and took all the Hebrew boys uh, captive and, and Daniel spent the rest of his life uh, in Babylonian captivity. These were oppressors. These were enemies. These were not the people of God at that time. Philistia, you recognize that name. David and Goliath, the Philistine, and the, the battles that they had all throughout the early part of the, of the, the, the history of Israel. And Philistia was one of those, those uh, common enemies that they just kept facing and, and kept battling and, and kept uh, having to, to, to oppose. We see the nation of Tyre. Tyre is a nation that, that is, is, is used uh, throughout uh, David and Solomon's reign. David and Solomon uh, together uh, collected and then built the temple for God. Uh, David uh, collected all the materials for the temple. And the king of Tyre was, was one who contributed a lot to, uh, that, to, to the building of the temple. And then when Solomon took over uh, as the king and he began to build the temple, then the king of Tyre as well uh, helped and uh, was very instrumental there. But we have a very rich nation who is friendly with Israel, but is definitely not Israel. And then the last one, Cush or Ethiopia. And this, one, this would have been a representative or symbolic of those on the remotest parts of the world. If we look on a map today, we recognize that Ethiopia is not really that far from Israel. And yet in their day, this was, this was the, 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 the land to, to the far extents of, of known civilization. This is, uh, this is their, uh, the, the outskirts, if you will. These are former enemies. And yet these are the people who are being described as, it says in verse number four, those who know me. And notice what it says about them at the end of the verse. Uh, verse four, this one was born there, they say. Very interesting that who these people used to be, we're not talking about the tribes of, Jews, of Ju, uh, the tribe of Judah or the tribes of Dan or, or Naphtali or, 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 or Benjamin. We're talking about pagans. 
We're talking about outsiders. We're talking about the very people who fought against God's people. But notice what's happened to them. They've become citizens. These who were pagans have now become saints. These who were outsiders have now become insiders. And as I mentioned before, that in Psalm 15, we have the specific requirements that, that God has for people who would dwell on His holy hill. And these people, if we read the Bible and, and we read the stories about them, they don't qualify. But somehow, they've made it into the city. And, and, and the truth is, and what the psalmist is, is, is expressing here, is that though their physical heritage belongs to these nations of, Ethio, of Ethiopia and Philistia and Babylon and Egypt, their spiritual heritage belongs to Zion. And it's not just that they are in Zion, it's not just being in Zion, but that they belong to Zion. Zion is taking ownership of these people, that they're not Egyptians, they're not Philistines, they're not uh, Ethiopians, they are people of Zion. They are the people of God. And they're not merely proselytes. They're not merely, as you read, scattered throughout the, the, the Old Testament and the history of Israel, there would be people who were not born Israelites, but came in and lived among them as an Israelite, and we call them proselytes. These are not those people. These are full-born citizens. This one was born there, they say. It's kind of like in Acts 22, when uh, Paul was being was being, uh, uh, he was arrested and he was imprisoned, and uh, they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen, and it was a big deal to imprison a Roman citizen without due process and, and, and all of that, and, and so uh, a tribune came to Paul to, to, to investigate this, and in Acts 22 and verse 27, it says, the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. And, and the, to be a Roman citizen, fast forwarding that, that many years ahead, was a really big, uh, was a really big privilege. And you could buy your citizenship, but of course, being naturally born a Roman citizen was, was an even greater honor. And, and the, 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 the tribune here, the, the, the soldier is saying, this is not something we take very lightly. I pay a lot of money to get this citizenship. And Paul says, I was born a Roman citizen. And, and that's the idea that, that is being expressed in Psalm 87, that these people were born citizens. How did this happen? Well, we see a couple of reasons in our psalm there. In verse number 4, we see it's because they know God. Verse 4a, among those who know me. They were, they, were, they, they were born into the city because they know God. The second reason we see is because God is establishing this city Himself. In verse number 5, it says, And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will establish her. Psalm 48, verse 8 says, As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. He, is, he has founded this city. He has established this city. He is the one who makes the rules, if you will, of this city. And these people have been made citizens by God's decree. William Van Gimmeren wrote that the God who has established Zion in the past, verse number one, will continue to establish her. 
verse number five. And, and notice that this isn't based on their own claims. These people from Egypt and Cush and, and all these different lands didn't walk up and say, I want to be a citizen of Zion, so therefore I'm going to be a citizen of Zion. It would be if, if you decided, you know what, we want to move to another state or, or even another country, and, and you would be free to move your, country, your family across the country, maybe to move to Texas or, or maybe move to North Carolina. You could do that, and, and you could say, I'm a, I'm a citizen of North Carolina now. I'm a, I'm a citizen of whatever... And that's by your choice. You chose to do that, but this is not how these people got to Zion. These people made it to Zion because most specifically, look at what verse 6 says. The Lord records as he registers the people. This one was born there. If you can imagine it in this way, that the Lord himself is sitting outside of the gates and all who enter are recorded in his book and he registers and he approves of them. This one was born there. This one was, is a citizen. This one is one of mine. God himself keeps a record of the people whom he registers as citizens of Zion and says this one was born there. It's a fantastic thought when we think about who these people were and who they are now and how they got to be this way because of God's decree. Alec Matir wrote, in essence, it proclaims the coming world city of God in which birthright will be extended to formerly hostile and pagan nations on the basis of their inclusion by the Lord in his register. This essentially describes how any of us became children of God. We were not born into the, the family of God by our own will. But John says, uh, no, not born by the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And then notice in verse number 7 what these people are doing. These singers and dancers. It says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. I take this to mean that, that Zion is the source of everything for these people, these, these, these sources, these, uh, these springs. That, that's where they, that, that their supply comes from. The, the New American Standard uh, adds springs of joy to make it a little bit clearer. Again, Van Gemmeren wrote that Zion is associated with the fountain of life, of salvation, of a river whose streams make glad the city of God. All my springs are in you. And this is what makes Zion such a glorious city because its founder is God and its citizens are people who are of the unlikeliest origins. Its citizens are worldwide. They know the Lord and possess a birthright to the city. Zion is thus the consummation, Alec Matir writes, Zion is thus the consummation of the purposes of God. It's not a very long psalm. Let me try to help you understand how this plays out for us. When the psalm was written, none of the things that we read about had actually happened yet. There's some debate on when the psalm was actually written. Some say that it was written during the time of the exile when Zion wasn't really that glorious of a city. When most of Israel had been scattered and were living in captivity and they were looking forward to the event when this would happen. But as we read through the Old Testament, we don't find these Egyptians as a part of Israel. We don't find Ethiopians as a part of Israel. Because when this was written, it hadn't happened yet. But 
If you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 19, I want to show you something there. Isaiah chapter 19, I'm going to read in verse number 21. So keep your place in Psalms, and let's go over to Isaiah chapter 19 and verse number 21. And there's a lot that's said before this, and even at the beginning of chapter 19 in my Bible, it's got a little heading, an oracle concerning Egypt. And he even says, verse number 1, an oracle concerning Egypt. But we, we're just going to start in verse number 21. Let me show you what, what the, the psalmist is looking forward to. Verse number 21 says, And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know that the Lord in that day, will know the Lord in that day, and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. And they will return to the Lord. And he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, will be the, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, listen to this, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. How do the Egyptians become the people of God? It hadn't happened in those days, but it was anticipated that it would happen and believed it would happen. And throughout the New Testament, and even up until today, we see this truth becoming realized. We see the realization of the truth of these, what we come to understand as Gentile nations being brought in to the people of God, though even today it is not yet completely realized. God is still recording the citizens of his city. God is still registering people and saying, this one was born there. This and that one was born in her. Ultimately, we see this played out in the book of Revelation. This Zion is the new Jerusalem that John saw coming down from heaven. And in Revelation 21, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Paul writes in Galatians 4.26 as this Jerusalem above. And he says that it is our mother. Jerusalem above, this new Jerusalem is our mother, for we have been born in her and belong to her. This city of Zion is, in a very small sense, the church that we understand today, the church of Christ. Christopher Ashe wrote this, when we meet with Christ's church, we have come to Mount Zion. In anticipation of that final gathering of men and women, a great multitude that no one could ever count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, when we will see the Lamb standing on Mount Zion and with every single one of his gathered people. 
This is how it played out for any of, you, any of us. If we are believers in Christ, if we are Christians today, we are representatives of those Gentile nations, Egypt and Philistia and Cush, and we have been brought into the city, not by our own will, not by our own merit, but simply because we have been born into it. And so the question I ask you today is this. Where were you born? I'm not talking about the city and the state or the country that you were physically born into, but the spiritual city that you were born into, the city that you belong to. Where were you born? Have you been born again in Zion? Are you a part of God's city, a part of his beloved people? Listen to what Jesus said in John 3. He said, Jesus is talking to the man Nicodemus. And he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Also in John the very beginning, it talks about how these people are born again, how you can be born again. It says, but to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we must ask, where were you born? Were you born in Zion? Do you have a citizenship in Zion? And if you don't, you cannot enter the city of God. Only those who come to Christ through him, as he said, as he said there, you must be born again. And, and those who are born again are those who receive him and believe in his name. Those are the ones he gives the right to become the son of God. If you're not a Christian this morning, invite you to turn to Christ because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. But if you are a Christian and you can say, my citizenship is in heaven. My citizenship is in the city called Zion. I am one of God's people. Then let me ask you this question. Is your identity in this city or in that city of Zion? Is your, your whole being characterized by living in Sherman, New York, or by belonging to Zion? Let me ask it this way. Is your hope in the city of Zion or somewhere else? Does your joy come from the city of Zion? Or do you have a spring from somewhere else? If this world is not our home, then with the saints of the past, let us acknowledge that we are strangers and exiles on this earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them 
the city. That's what the writer of Hebrews reminds us. We acknowledge, this is not my home. I live here for now, but I'm just sojourning. I'm just here for a time. I belong to a different city. I belong to heaven. So is my identity wrapped up in belonging as a New Yorker or as a Pennsylvanian or as an American or as a Christian, as someone who belongs to the city of Zion? Are we living for this world, this life, and the pleasures that are found here and now, whether they're good or bad, are we living for them? Is our life all about work and making money and having children, getting married, getting a good job, getting promoted, seeing the sights that are to be seen in the world? Not if we belong to Zion. That's not what life is all about. If we belong to Zion, if we belong to the people of God and we belong to the church, and the, of, of God, and then in the city of God, life is not about this world, but about another. Do I find my identity in a job title? Some letters after my name, some accolades, maybe a last name. I belong to a certain family here on earth, and that's where my identity comes from. Or maybe a social status, or financial status, or even some other club or organization. Or are you a citizen of Zion? Because if you're a citizen of Zion, then your identity and mind is in Christ. Our citizenship, our belonging to His city, to His church, and to His people, that's what matters. In the, in the language of verse number 7 there, are all my springs found in Him or somewhere else? The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. He loves the dwelling places of Jacob, but he loves Zion the best. How do I feel about the city of Zion? So let us desire that city as we go forward each day a little bit closer. That city. May we find our identity and our value and our worth in the fact that we are citizens of heaven, belonging to the people of God. Let us behave then as citizens of a heavenly city. Let us walk worthy of that heritage. Let us acknowledge that though we are here on this earth for a few years, this is not our final destination. We're marching Onward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Because as Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord. Savior, if of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show. 
solid joys and lasting treasure. None but Zion's children will.